0: You can meet and hear Mark and Molly Hemingway, Robert George, Albert Moeller, Brian Wolfmiller, Hans Feeney, and Will Whedon at the 2020 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 12th and Saturday, June 13th in Chicago. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. The 2020 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, June 12th and 13th at Concordia University, Chicago.
1: Here is the lead from a Providence Journal story recently, and I quote, The Reverend Richard Bucci, pastor of the West Warwick Church, where a lawmaker's sister had said she was sexually molested repeatedly as a child by a now dead priest, marked the anniversary of the landmark Roe v. Wade decision by issuing a flyer listing the names of every Rhode Island legislator who had voted last year to enshrine the right to an abortion in state law. That's the lead of the story. What's the story then about? I'm a little confused because the lead seems to be telling me two different things, maybe one relevant thing and something not so relevant. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're going to be talking about this Providence Journal story about a priest who informed his parishioners that pro-choice Catholic politicians would-be-denied communion, Terry Mattingly joins us. He's senior fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi, author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. He's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. So do just a little bit of Journalism 101 for us here. What is the purpose of the lead?
2: Well, in one fashion, our listeners are probably familiar with the phrase who, what, when, where, why, and how. This is a classic way of stating the information that should go in a lead so that people know the basics of the story. In reality, that isn't how most journalists write the tops of their stories anymore. That's an old wire service form that's decades and decades old. It's handy in radio, though, to have all that much information in the first thing of a story when you're just reading a a number of short versions of stories on the air back in the my old radio days that was called rip and read you would rip off the leads of the stories paste them up and then turn them into a script i think the essential idea though is that the lead is supposed to give the reader essential information that they need to know what this story will go about and what's interesting in this particular case is the Providence Journal story seems to imply that the history of this lawmaker's sister and her sexual molestation charges and claims, that that is somehow linked to the Church's current pastor taking this action to defend, in a controversial manner, the Church's teachings on abortion. Now. The implication here is that this priest at the, at the church is somehow either linked to sexual abuse somehow, or at the very least, that he's linked to hiding it, or kind of like being a co-conspirator or something. We find out something radically different later in the story that almost undercuts that. I think what the main thing we learn is that in the mind of this particular Catholic politician, the lawmaker uh, mentioned in the lead, they are connected. Whether or not they are connected is something the story (laughs) directly contradicts or undercuts. It's a bizarre lead. I don't think I've I've seen anything like it this year. When I first read it, I I almost had no idea what to say about it. And then lo and behold, a uh, a very famous Catholic scholar, someone sent me the link to him just doing an absolute shredding of the story on Facebook. And so I went, okay, he's mad. He's mad for a reason. He's very familiar with the situation. I think I'll just quote him taking this lead down.
1: So give us the who, what, when, where, and why and how of this Providence Journal story. And is this really – story about the separation of church and state? Yeah, let's come back to that question in a while. I
2: think it's interesting that when the Associated Press – let me see if I can find that for you – when the Associated Press did its version of the story, and the Associated Press, of course, is the epitome of wire service, who, what, when, where, why, and how. The lead on the Associated Press story says, the pastor of a Rhode Island church issued a flyer which said that every state legislator who voted last year to preserve the right to an abortion in the state would be denied communion. Now, what's missing in that lead? The
1: whole priestly abuse issue.
2: Right. And what's fascinating is that nowhere in this short Associated Press story, or at least the version that I have seen so far used on the web, nowhere in this piece does it even mention. The sexual abuse angle of the story which says to me that from the mind of the associated press this story is an update on a kind of story we've seen a lot of in recent years in different presidential elections especially we had a story with joe biden being denied communion in south carolina this is a story that has been around with us for about two decades and this If you want to look for the valid hook in this story, this is an update on that situation, which is an important story and a much more straightforward, logical story.
1: Let's explore this a little bit, the church-state issue. I think what we're dealing with here is a priest who says, the teachings of the church are thus and so. These politicians, in their capacity as legislators and Roman Catholics, have violated that and therefore, I'm going to do my priestly duty and deny them communion. The response is often, well, you got to understand, they're legislators and they're leaving their religion at the door. Is that where the church-state issue enters this?
2: There's really, from my perspective, two different First Amendment issues here. Let's back up, and instead of a case of church-state separation, let's call this a First Amendment story for a second. So, first of all, Do the Catholic legislators have a First Amendment right to publicly and openly disagree with their church's teaching on abortion? The answer to that, of course, is yes, of course they have that First Amendment right. Now they can state it a number of different ways. They can say, I'm going to be in favor of abortion rights. Because I'm representing my constituents and my voters, even though I don't personally believe that abortion is moral. Now, we've seen this go on for decades in terms of what some people once call the Mario Cuomo, Notre Dame approach to justifying this action. The I'm a personally opposed, but I will publicly vote, etc. But here's the key. First Amendment rights. Do these Catholic politicians have a right to oppose the teachings of their church? Of course they do. Second question, do the bishops and priests of the Roman Catholic Church have a First Amendment right to enforce the doctrines of their church on members of the Roman Catholic Church, which is a voluntary association? You don't have to be a member of the Roman Catholic Church. Do the bishops a right to defend their own teachings, and withholding sacraments would certainly be a, a, a strong form of doing that. But if you understand the theology of the Catholic Church, they're basically saying, we believe that supporting and enabling abortion is a mortal sin. If we allow you to come and receive communion without having confessed that sin, the priest giving you communion Is taking part in the endangerment of your soul. Now, does the Catholic Church have a First Amendment right to have that doctrinal stance and to enforce it within their own church life, inside the doors of their church? And the answer to that is obviously yes. In fact, if you flip it around, you'd have to say, is there a constitutionally protected right for a Catholic Church to demand that the church give them communion. Now, can you think of anything that would involve the entanglement of the state more in the doctrines of a church than the state somehow saying that it's a separation of church and state issue, whether or not the state can order a church to give sacraments to members that they believe have violated the church? I got confused even trying to say that, trying to make sense out of it. But I think you can see the different layers of this. So is this a church-state issue? Sure. It's a church-state issue involving the rights of the believers, but also the rights of the clergy and the hierarchy of the Catholic Church. Both of them have First Amendment rights. So yeah, it's a First Amendment case. Was this a violation somehow of church separation? I don't even know what that means in this context.
1: Okay, let's talk about the Catholic scholar that you noticed was responding to the Providence Journal story, and it's none other than Anthony Esselin.
2: Right. Are you familiar with him? Do you know his work?
1: Absolutely. He's been a guest on this program many times, and he's been a speaker at the Issues Etc. conference.
2: Yes. He, um, of course, is well known both as a scholar in terms of his work with Dante and translations, but at the same time, he has become a defender well-known defender of both classical education and traditional approaches to Catholicism in a higher education setting. His clashes with Providence College, is it college or university, anyway, with Providence made national headlines. He eventually was run off and joined the faculty of Thomas More, and from what I understand, health complications may have affected his ability to work there, but he's extremely well-known and very popular with conservative Catholics. So if you were picking for someone to rise up and defend the priest in this case, he would be a logical candidate. But his piece on Facebook opens with the fact that for two decades, this particular priest was his priest. And so he's, he's very familiar with this man and his stands and his, his work in the church, period. He knows him personally. I'm sure this, this was one of his spiritual fathers in terms of confession and in everything else related to sacramental life.
1: So he wants to separate the issue that had been so muddled in that lead? He
2: jumps all over the story. And for a journalist, for someone who le- loves journalism, this is a painful thing to read because as i put it in my post about this he basically just pours acid on the story and the fact that some of his points are valid still don't make it easy to read uh, i mean just listen to this this ladies and gentlemen of the press is why conservatives and faithful catholics place you somewhere between maggot and snake okay that's a pretty strong statement there in particular he believes that the story in no way explained this particular Catholic legislator's history of collisions with and anger at this particular priest. And this is, I really think the story needed more space. It was written by a political reporter, it needed to be written by a religion reporter. But at some point, the story needed to say this politician and this priest have clashed before and have laid out the history of those clashes, including this situation with the sister. Okay, so the representative, Carol McEntee, is the person who is at the heart of the story and the person who dominates the lead. She mentions that her sister, Dr. Ann Hagen Webb, had been abused in this parish decades earlier and then later she says that the priest threw her out of a funeral for reasons that she doesn't really explain the story briefly pauses and says her version he told her she could not deliver a eulogy which she said she did not intend because it was not allowed if you read from the viewpoint of the priest or others, basically she was reading the epistle and then she introduced herself and began starting to make a series of comments right in the middle of the funeral at the space in the service for the epistle. You can see that this is going to get complicated, but lay people don't give homilies and lay people don't give eulogies especially if the priest has made it a policy in his church that there are no eulogies in the funeral mass. In the Orthodox tradition, what you frequently will see is there will be a testimonial meal or dinner after that, at which point someone, various types of people associated with the person who has died, may get up and give eulogies. But you don't interrupt a sacramental service to have a eulogy. This is something that I guess different priests handle in different ways. The point readers and listeners need to understand is there is a complicated history between this priest and this legislator, and the facts are jumbled and tossed around in kind of a crazy manner. I called it a train wreck in this story. And what you get is this woman's statement of what happened you sort of get some version that the priest disagrees, but there's no attempt to verify the facts. There's no attempt to lay it out logically. There's really no way for readers and listeners to figure out what happened.
1: Terry Mattingly is our guest. We're talking about a Providence Journal story about a priest who informed his parishioners that pro-choice Catholic politicians would be denied communion. Given all the complexities of the facts and the story, why was a political reporter writing the story and not a religion reporter? Would you like to help a college or seminary student attend the Issues Etc. Making the Case conference? You can purchase a conference scholarship for a contribution of $135 to Issues Etc. You can donate online at issuesetc.org slash scholarship, or you can make a $135 check payable to Issues Etc., write scholarship in the memo line, and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234.
0: Looking for a foreign language program that will revolutionize your students' vocabulary knowledge and their understanding of grammar? How about a program that teaches critical thinking skills, too? Look no further than Memoria Press's Latin curriculum. Students of all ages can use these Latin study programs. Give your students the gift of Latin today. To order, visit memoriapress.com and save $5 on your next order by using the coupon code LPR20. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Smartest listeners in radio. You're listening to Issues Etc. Did you know that many LCMS military personnel and their families are unable to receive Word and Sacrament ministry due to the lack of LCMS chaplains? Ministry to the Armed Forces is looking for pastors who will answer the call to serve as a chaplain to provide Word and Sacrament ministry to the men and women who selflessly serve our nation. Find out more about this exciting ministry by contacting me, Chaplain Craig Mueller, at lcmschaps at lcms.org. That is lcmschaps at lcms.org. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Ad Crucem has crafted a series of posters to put what we believe, teach, and confess on display. See our Luther's daily prayers, the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, liturgical calendar, John 1 in Latin, and coming soon, the Athanasian Creed visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com.
1: Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about a Providence Journal story about a priest who informed his parishioners that pro-choice Catholic politicians would be denied communion. Terry Mattingly is our guest, senior fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi, author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. He's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, it sounds like the upshot of this entire thing, at least journalistically, is that an editor should have seen that lead and said, okay, first of all, we have two separate legitimate stories here that are being mixed together, and both of the stories should probably go to a religion reporter and not a political reporter.
2: Yeah, there is a, a sense here that in this legislator's mind, she believes this priest is angry with her, not just because of abortion, but somehow that this is linked – to efforts to punish abusive priests, and that the church is mad at liberal Catholics for opposing the abuse of children, and that the church still wants to hide it. And she thus has said, this priest is angry at me and other people, not just because of abortion, but because we're fighting abuse, which leads to easily the strangest moment in the story and to me the sort of thing that just cried out to completely redraft the story and if you have a religion writer at your disposal that's who should have done this listen to this after the legislator has unloaded on the priest in a lengthy section of block direct quotes listen to this strange paragraph that's inserted into the story in parentheses as as kind of like oh Remember that lead about abuse? Inside parentheses, it says, In his own defense, Father Bucci told the journal that he anonymously sent the state police photographs of teenagers in lewd poses that he found in the room of the one-time pastor with whom he had once served at St. Mary's Church in Bristol after telling a top official at the diocese three times and seeing nothing done about it. The alleged priest, Father C. O'Connell, was ultimately sentenced to serve 10 years in a New Jersey sex offender treatment center for admitted sexual misconduct involving young boys. End of parentheses. In other words, this particular priest who the legislator has accused of wanting to oppose her and deny her communion, not just because of abortion, but because of things related to sexual abuse, this priest has actually been someone who spoke out inside the church fighting abuse and even risked his own career by continuing to report someone for abuse to the diocese. In his letter, Tony Ensillon says, in fact, people who knew a lot about this case understood that the priest had actually been kind of punished for his efforts to fight abuse. So here's another contradiction or tension within this story. The whole thing, it's like you needed to cut this thing out with scissors and create a whole new construction of the story. And the question here is, is this priest attempting to hurt this particular legislator, or has the priest Taken a stand that will affect a lot of different people connected to this abortion bill, and this particular legislator who's already angry at him, and maybe vice versa. We don't know. Is involved in that longer list. Did you
1: see my point? Yeah, that's why I say two separate stories. Uh, go yeah. write your story about the flyers, then do a follow-up where you can explore the angle. Yeah. From both sides, and not have to put it into a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine line parentheses, and actually do that story.
2: In other words, you could say, "Here is the story of the flyers. Here are all the people that are being affected by it." Then you have what in journalism is called a sidebar. You could then have a or a follow-up story that simply said, "In addition to this argument about the." communion ban and this flyer that's been handed out, one of the legislators is claiming that this fight is actually about abuse as well, and she says her own personal history proves that, and the priest responds in the following manner. You could even say a priest long involved in fighting clergy sexual abuse has defended himself with the following logic, and you could quote people on both sides of that debate. But it's like you had a train wreck. Two trains ran into each other, and in that convoluted lead, these two trains were described as being connected, that there was some sort of cause and effect between them, and there doesn't seem to be evidence of that at all. It's one of the strangest stories I've read in a long time. It was painful to read. It was painful to see the thing dissected by this very articulate and righteously angry Catholic scholar. All in all, not a good day
1: for journalism. Okay, so final question with only a minute. The Providence Journal is a storied publication. It's old. It's Pulitzer-nominated and awarded. And it's a small, relative to the New York Times, but very reputable newspaper. How does a story like this get out of its presses. One minute. Well, I think you
2: should also know that this is a paper that has had excellent religion reporting in the past. I think one of the things we're seeing here is the impact of the financial crisis in journalism right now caused by falling subscriptions, but much more the problem is one based on advertising and the lack of digital advertising or the lack of money coming from digital advertising. So here we have A newsroom that is known for having high standards, and those standards appear to have fallen, I would assume, because of a crunch of time and lack of talent and resources in that newsroom in the current financial crisis. And that's sad in this case, because as you said properly, this is a paper that is known for excellence, and in this case, that is the last word that can be used to describe this story. This was just tragic on multiple levels.
1: Terry Mattingly is senior fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi, author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. He's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, talk with you again next week. Glad to do so. Tomorrow on Issues Etc., we'll begin a series on the Lord's Supper and the Church with Pastor Jonathan Fisk, author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February, Without Flesh. We'll also get a review of the movie, JoJo Rabbit, and we'll respond to your email and the Issues Etc. comment line. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening.
0: is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Give your spouse the gift of time for Valentine's Day with a gift certificate from The Cleaning Authority. Call toll-free 1-866-827-0062 or visit thecleaningauthority.com. Forget the flowers, candy, and jewelry this year with a Valentine's Day gift certificate from our favorite cleaning service, The Cleaning Authority, 866-827-0062, or thecleaningauthority.com. St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Wildwood, Missouri, is a proud sponsor of Issues Etc. And if you enjoy the relevant Christ-centered teachings presented on this program, then you should come and join us at St. Paul's on Sundays at 9 a.m., where you will hear sermons that proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified for our sins, and enjoy in-depth Bible studies to help us grow as disciples. For more information, check us out at stpaulutheranwildwood.org.